Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you lead us in that you're always with us. And that when we come together, you are also with us. That you're here in this place. God, as we turn to the scripture today, I ask that you would truly help us to hear you without interruption or confusion. To sense your presence, to sense your Holy Spirit guiding in any of the implications of what you are wanting to say through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I almost feel like I need to wait for Ben Farrell to come back upstairs before I can do this introduction, but some of you might be familiar with and I don't know how it was introduced to you, but the Fellowship of the Ring, the, the Lord of the Rings, uh, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Tolkien's mother passed away when he was 12, and my mom's, both of her parents, uh, both, both of her parents lost a parent before they were 10, and the stories about that, you know, have an impact on me. And, uh, Tolkien, his, his wife, uh, also lost a parent at a young age, and uh, when World War I was coming around, you've got to think about which, which uh, was 1914 to 1918. In 1918, Tolkien was 22 years old, and President Wilson had started to call World War I the war to end all wars. And uh, Tolkien served in the military um, in World War I, experience of suffering firsthand. In fact, actually got an illness through his military service that stayed with him at least for a couple of years, um, possibly longer. And, but this thought of, uh, which President Woodrow Wilson's reference to World War I being the war to end all wars was referencing the, the book by H.G. Wells that came out um, at that, that same year, 1914. This concept of ending conflict, this concept of a power that was powerful enough to be sovereign over any other military power or political government where war was a part of human suffering, and, and definitely World War I, there was a lot of human suffering. This was a, a big and important concept, a whole that there could be an end, a forever to human history end to, to military conflict, to war. And that, in that stretch, and, and possibly, we're, I haven't read enough biographies to know, but possibly as a result to his recovery from his illness, in that age, in his 20s, is when Tolkien first started to write The Fellowship of the Ring, The Lord of the Rings. And writing with some depth about power and about the human spirit. And actually he didn't finish it until 20 years later where we're in World War II. Again, another hope to have a war that would end all wars. So we come to Psalm 89. Who is as mighty as you are, O Lord? If you notice the, the theme of today's worship songs, God Almighty. 
is as mighty as you are, Lord. You, you may not be aware that this is written by the psalmist Ethan. You may not have known there was even an Ethan in Scripture. But the psalmist Ethan writes this line, Who is as mighty as you are, Lord? This concept of a power that is sovereign over all, a God who has no rival, it's important, it's meaningful, it's actually in the foundation of why we would gather here today. And so I'm using the title, God Perfect in Power. So, power, this just to kind of unpack the word and the Bible word, the ability to do something, energy, the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. Uh, word would also mean possession of control, the one who's driving, the one who has authority, the one to, uh, to whom others must submit or influence other, over others. The, the Bible word mighty that's used here in this psalm, psalm by Psalmist Ethan in Psalm 89, strong, great and awesome power. Who has as much power? Who is as strong, who is mighty, who is as awesome as our God? There is none, is what Psalm 89 says. It also, specifically, this Hebrew word references an available ability, stored up resources. A couple of weeks ago, I went to, uh, as is the tradition for a lot of us in the summer, go to recharge the air conditioning in the van. <laughs> Didn't work. It's the compressor. I go to uh, drive, and all of a sudden the brakes are malfunctioning. You ever had that happen to you? That will test your cardiovascular fitness. <laughs> Already has other problems. I, I am situationally out of luck, out of provision. I am in trouble. But the Waybrights loaned me their car. Save the day. Save the vacation. They had stored up available resources. They had resources available. Who is as mighty? Who has more resource available than our God? That's a part of the concept here. So let's, and perfect. Why, why perfect in power? We have, a, it's, it's a Bible idea. It's a foundational idea that God is almighty. But perfect, what does that word mean from a biblical sense? It means complete. God's power is complete. He, he isn't running on empty. There's no weaknesses in God's power, and there's none better than God's power is pure. It's without weakness. It's without compromise. It is wholly set apart than anyone else's. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Psalm 89. Summary statements just to give you some thoughts today. The one true living God is perfect in power. Almighty God is gracious and sovereign in complete control of all we see. There's no rival to God's strength. God has no weaknesses. Starting in verse 5. All heaven will praise your great wonders, O Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all heaven can compare with the Lord?
mightiest angel is anything like the Lord. The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. Now remember, prior to Ethan in the history of the Israelite people, they had seen evidence of angels. They had seen evidence of God's military power. So this is a reference to real stuff that's happened. Verse 9. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. And here we got one of just a few references we get in Scripture to sea monsters. You crushed the great sea monster. Not entirely sure what Ethan is talking about there, but it is a specific Bible word that pops up a few times. Leviathan, the kraken. There's a, there's a reference to that in Scripture. You crushed the great sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Verse 11, the heavens are yours, the, the spiritual realm and the skies, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. You created north and south. Mount Tabor, Mount Hermon, that they, they would see as reference points. Praise your name. The mountains glorify you. Verse 13. Powerful is your arm. Strong is your hand. The right, your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Righteousness. Verse 14. We really could spend months on by itself. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. It's a huge theme in Scripture. Unfailing love and truth, also huge themes of Scripture, walk before you as attendants. The power of God is recognized in their history through righteousness, justice, faithful love, and truth. But watch this now, verse 15. What's the result? What's the byproduct? Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. For they will walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. Verse 16. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exult in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Who is as mighty as you are, O Lord? Now here I go again, picking a huge subject, way too big for one morning. <laughs> if you'd like to do a deep and meaningful word study in the scripture, look in the original language for Lord Almighty. It's one of the descriptors of God that is actually most common in scripture. It's a tagline, it's a Hashtag, it's an adjective. It is, it's referenced so often that I want to make sure we understand it can't be separated from who the people in Scripture, these real people at the time of Scripture, believed God to be. God is all-powerful. God, perfect in power. From the passage we just looked at, I just summarized three quick observations about this trait of God. Unrivaled. Clearly what Ethan is writing is that no one is more powerful than God. God's the strongest. Nothing is impossible with God. 
With God, all things are possible. Sovereign, all things are within God's sovereign, gracious control. It's just a few simple things from the psalm. But think about the other references to God and God's name that you see on the screen here. Other ways that are connected to this theme. Yahweh El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yahweh El Elyon, the Most High God. Yahweh Elohim, the Mighty God. That, that beginning, in the beginning, God created is the Mighty God. It's a reference to His power, strength, and His ability. And in a related trait, Yahweh El Olam, the everlasting God who always has been, God who is, and God who always will be. This is helpful, refreshing, foundational truth. And when we sing psalms, particularly psalms with modern vocabulary, it's really important that we have a depth of understanding about whom we are singing to. Does that make sense? Nobody likes to be taken for granted, taken advantage of, taken too lightly. God is worth the best of our praise. Jesus brings us back to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I'm going to love God, if I'm going to praise God, if I'm going to worship God, if I'm going to reverence God, hallelujah, if I'm going to praise Yah, if I'm going to praise God with the best of my ability, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I need to know to whom I am speaking. Of what I am speaking. Over the past year, one of the things that's been very meaningful to me in finding peace and strength during suffering is thanking God for who God is regardless of my circumstance. Yeah. That's something that I've done that really helped me. God, I thank you that you are. Mm -hmm. It's really helpful. Thank you, Pastor Ben. So the Lausanne Covenant talks about the belief about God. We affirm our belief in the one eternal God, one true living God, creator and Lord of the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who governs all things according to the purpose of His will. This is a part of our belief system as a church, a summary of what we find in Scripture. Going a little further, some of you remember a few years ago, we used the New City Catechism for a couple of years. It says it this way, God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. We have many scriptures that teach us the following. God exists. God exists. God is spirit. Even just in the beginning in Genesis, we get this. God is spirit. God is light. God is a consuming fire. God is love. So Bible concepts. God's essential attributes include that God is eternal. We already referenced that, right? God is self-existent. No one, no thing, no accidental, primordial goop brought God into existence. 
God pre-existed. God is self-existent. No one brought God into existence. God is unchangeable. God's characteristics, God's priorities, God's moral character, His attitudes, predispositions, His will and His purposes are unchangeable. Omnipotent, that's what we're talking about today, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. God knows all things, understands all things, and omnipresent. We reference that a lot. God is always present with us. God's moral attributes include the fact that God is perfect in holiness. God is pure. God is not corrupt. God is not impure. God is not tainted. God is pure. God is completely all to himself. There's none that can be compared to God. God is perfect in righteousness. Right standing relationship between God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, and all humans. God is perfect in love. Remember this word perfect, we already defined it. Complete, without fault, without defect, without weakness. God is perfect in faithfulness. Even when life has not worked out the way I thought it should, God is faithful. We see observations from Jesus, from the Psalms, and from Jeremiah on this. And I studied, the more I studied this, the more I found different things echo. I want to start with what Jesus said that's so helpful to us. You see on the screen, Matthew 19. With God, all things are possible. What's the context of this? What's Jesus talking about? Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's almost comical, the disciples' response. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Our belief that God is all-powerful, that God's perfect in power, is foundational to our belief that we can be saved. Jesus teaches that if God is not all-powerful, this salvation thing doesn't go. It doesn't work. And so I want us to mature, I want us to deepen our understanding of who this God is. And the fact of the matter that God is all-powerful is an essential thing Jesus says to this. Now you heard me reference that Jesus and the Psalms and Jeremiah echo these themes. Let's go to Jeremiah. This one's a little deeper, a little more complex. And I don't have time this morning to unpack the context, which is a shame because this is quite a situation. Then after I had given the papers to Baruch, I prayed to the Lord. There's this accusation about who God is and going back and forth. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. What you find repeated in the Psalms with multiple authors, including Moses, including David, including Solomon, including Jeremiah and others, is a reference to God as the source of life. Now, now we have a position paper that talks about the biblical explanation for God created the planet with maturity, in age. It wasn't a baby planet. And that the seven days of creation is not necessarily a 24-hour day. Those biblical words for the first day, that, that biblical word is age. 
So we don't know how many years the first day of Genesis lasts, okay? It's a big topic, I know. I don't want to weird anybody out this morning, but the point of this constant reference, when God is referenced as Almighty, frequently, and this is instructive to us to help us understand how we should relate to this attribute of God. That's where I'm trying to go, right? Trying to help us in our, how do I, what does this mean about my relationship with God? How do I relate to Almighty God? Well, one of the patterns that we see repeated in Scripture multiple times is that they reference that God is the giver of life. God is the source of all that we see. Every tree, the sky, the ocean, the land, God is the source. God is the life giver. This life-giving providing attribute of God is something that they often reference as a witness to a confirmation of Almighty God. Is that helpful? So that's what we're talking about. So God is all-powerful. Oh, sovereign God, you made. Right now, going on verse 18. You show unfailing love to thousands. What's he doing? Jeremiah is quoting what God said about his own character to Moses in Exodus I am the one who has shown unfailing love and forgiven to thousands of generations, God said. But you also bring the consequences. That phrase, that interchange, is referencing how God described himself. Those who are repentant and confess their wrong, he forgives thousands of generations. Those who are unrepentant and stand guilty before him, he judges them. God described himself that way, and what you see is God's own description of himself is often repeated by people when they're praising God for his all-powerful nature. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's armies. Again, now what we see, you, uh, well, let me continue and I'll come back to that. You have all the wisdom and do great and mighty miracles. You see the conduct of all people, we'll talk about that next Sunday, and you give them what they deserve. You perform miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. What you see that is a part of what they do, which we should do in how we relate to God and this attribute of God, is that they specifically reference specific things that happened in their history where God proved his power. The parting of the Red Sea, the deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance from a power that dominated them that they could not free themselves from. Several miracles, multiple times in scripture, people quote it. And so today, we can also thank God that his power was shown in those ways, and we can also quote and reference the miracles God has done in our life. I've told you before the story about broken, dislocated this elbow, and after all the medical care that could come, I couldn't open it any farther than this. I received prayer, and I could open it all the way. I thank the God who heals, who has power that no one else has, for specific things that he's done. This is a way we can relate to God. You've continued to do great miracles in Israel and all around the world. You've made your name famous to this day. You bought, brought Israel out of Egypt with mighty signs and wonders, with a strong and powerful arm, and with overwhelming terror. You gave the people of Israel this land that you had promised their ancestors long before, a land flowing with milk and honey, specifically referencing these historical events. Our ancestors came and conquered it and lived in it, but they refused to obey you or follow your word. Now here's the thing that he talks about that does not directly correlate to all the challenges we face in life, but I want to get there. God in his covenant promised to the people prior to Jesus said, listen, I love you, 
I forgive you, I deliver you, I give you life, I make a promise in making this covenant to you, and if you reject me, if you forsake me, if you rebel against me, bad stuff is going to happen. And I'm going to allow bad stuff to happen to draw you back to a place of humility, repentance, and being a part of this loving commitment. God says that in the covenant. He says it repeated times. That's what Jeremiah is referencing here. And that's what happened in this situation. They've not done anything, anything you've commanded. That's why you set this terrible disaster upon them. See how the siege ramps have been built against the city walls. Through war, famine, and disease, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who will conquer it. Everything has happened just as you said. And yet, O oh, sovereign Lord, you've told me to buy the field, paying good money for it before these witnesses, even though the city will soon be handed over to the Babylonians. Then this message came to Jeremiah from the Lord. I am the Lord. The God of all the peoples of the world is anything too hard for me. I want us to note the honest passion, anger, hurt, emotion that Jeremiah often communicates with and that we often see in the Psalms. Even with an admission of, in this case, it wasn't a devil, it was our decision. And sometimes we need a little, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I accidentally cut my finger a couple days ago and doing a project around the house. It wasn't a devil, it was my decision to not do it in a safer me method, right? But when life has not gone the way that we want, when things happen that are, are not a result of sin, don't, are not connected to sin, when there's financial challenges, when there's health challenges, when there's death. And in the past 30 days, some known and some unknown in this church family, there's actually been a lot of that. And there are people that we're connected to. And I, I've been dialoguing with a, an old friend of mine who's been on his deathbed multiple times with a heart condition. We can, like Jeremiah, regardless of the cause, say, God, do you see the city is burning? Don't, don't you see? Where is, where are you, God Almighty? One of the things that we see repeated in, this, in the Psalms and in Jeremiah, in these examples of relationship, and not everything that's done is right. Some of what's done is sinful. Not everything is to be affirmed, but what we definitely see is that God interacting with honest communication with what we're feeling is, God, don't you see? You can do anything. Where are you? Rebecca and I honeymooned in Maui and somebody gave us a ridiculous vacation a while back and we were able to go back and Maui's a place that's really dear to us and this, the fires there just, it's like, so, like, like I, I feel physical pain. Like I had to stop looking at the images. Like it, it, I, I, it registers as pain. And our 
Our network of churches has actively evolved directly through local churches providing direct aid. And if you want to make a financial contribution towards that, I, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link to be involved with that. But sometimes our lives are on fire. Not God's consuming fire, but damaging fire. Health, finances, vocation, mental health, spiritual health. Sometimes, you know, when Freddie Gray died, I felt for two years like our city was on fire. Emotionally, I just, that's just how I felt. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time out, out in the streets with that. A part of the example that we get in Scripture is to honestly lament the reality of what's going on in connection with where we are praising God who is almighty. It's not contradictory. It's not contradictory with what we do with it. I'm going to come back to that. What does almighty God do with his power? Well, Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, 3, God heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. What does God do with his power? Psalm 73, 26 has been so meaningful to me over the past year. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Even on days when I wanted to die, I would come to a place of saying that Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never turn my back on you. You think about the end of Romans 8. All these hardships that are listed, this is nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even when we go through, even when it's God, don't you see the fire? Don't you see the destruction, the devastation, the damage? Where are you, Almighty God? The example we get is we still praise God. And often what we get in those psalms that talk about that is the verse 1 and the last verse both point in that direction. So it is, I, also, I feel these things, I express things, these things, but they are not my beginning place, nor are they my end. Because I believe, and that's what we get in Romans 8, that nothing is too hard for God. God can bring something good out of anything. We've got to believe if God is almighty, that means no matter how bad it gets, God can do something good. God has a purpose. And that's a thing, whoa, did I ever learn from Job? Nothing can defy the purpose of God. God's purpose will be accomplished. Ephesians 3.20, you know, one of my favorites. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God can do something inside of you and bring good and bring victory and bring power and bring faith out of and through whatever the challenge is. God can do it. I want to pray for you. Rebecca's going to put on the, the song, the last song that we sung this morning with the lyrics so you can have a moment of prayer as we, we close our, our time together. I want us to be thinking 
What do we learn about the truth that God is all-powerful? And I want you to ask yourself, what truth will you listen to this week? Then what should we do about it? God, I thank you for who you are, for all that you have done. We turn to you. We say we believe that you're all-powerful, and we choose to trust you. Holy Spirit, minister to people as we listen to this song this morning.